so much that the Father would give His only begotten Son, and by giving His only Son to the world, anyone in the world who received His Son no longer need perish, but instead they would have eternal life. That idea is so revolutionary, it's so beautiful and true, that it's quite literally a miracle. The truth this verse communicates cannot be manufactured by mankind. The beauty of this verse cannot be assembled by the hands of men. John 3.16 may be truth spoken by the lips of men, but the truth we speak does not find its roots with us. A reality this pure, a picture of love this raw and honest can only come from above. It can only come from God. And that is the core message of John 3.16. God descends from heaven to inhabit the earth so that all who found themselves trapped in the bonds of death could be brought into the light and live. That's the, that's the core message of this entire chapter. It's the core message of the gospel. You can even make a strong argument that it's one of the core messages of the Old Testament as well. But if that message is so prolific, if God showed a willingness to dwell among his creatures in the very first chapters of Genesis, if throughout the Old Testament God constantly descended from the heights of heaven and made his dwelling among men, and by dwelling among them caused them to change and be made different. If that which is above was constantly giving itself to that which is below, if the Old Testament consistently showed that Israel was changed and made different when they were imbibed by the life of God, if all of that were as plain as day and was one of the fundamental pillars of the Old Testament, then why, when Jesus spoke about that exact thing, was Nicodemus so confused? Why was this teacher of all Israel seemingly stunned to hear the news that in order to enter God's kingdom, you must be born of God's Spirit? That is the exact question I want to focus on this morning. Why did so many in Israel misunderstand the message and mission of Jesus? Why was Jesus so often misunderstood even by those closest to him? Why was he misunderstood even by those who were doing their best to understand? I think a part of that answer is found in our gospel text today. To see what I mean, let's start at the very beginning of John chapter 3. Verse 1 sets the stage. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's attending the Passover feast. And while he's in town, something strange happens to him. A Pharisee named Nicodemus has taken notice of Jesus. He's familiar with the teachings of Jesus. He seems to be familiar with the signs and miracles of Jesus. But what makes this meeting atypical isn't that the Pharisee has noticed these things. What's atypical is this Pharisee's conclusion about these things. John tells us that Nicodemus makes a confession of sorts. Look in verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you were a teacher come from God, and no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. It seems that the teachings of Jesus that caused other Pharisees to recoil and discuss were evidence for Nicodemus of his divine authority. It seems that the signs and wonders of Christ that the Pharisees attributed to the power of the devil were evidence for Nicodemus that Jesus had truly come from God. And it's it's easy to focus on the fact that Nicodemus came at night, that his meeting was held under the cover of darkness, and while it's, it's easy to attribute to Nicodemus a cowardly nature for doing so, I don't see it that way. 
Nicodemus perceived Jesus for who he truly was. Nicodemus saw that the kingdom Jesus was building was right in front of him. And he wanted to meet with Jesus and let him know, I see what you're doing, Jesus. I know who you are. You are a teacher come from God. And guys, whether you make that profession at noon or at midnight, it was no small thing for a Pharisee to say it. Nicodemus stood against the conclusions of virtually every other Pharisee. Jesus wasn't some rogue preacher that had to be stopped at all cost. No, he was a teacher sent to Israel by God himself. And I think that it's because Nicodemus believed that Christ was sent from God to bring about the kingdom of God that Jesus answers the way he does in verse 3. He says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now I'll shoot you straight. At first glance, that verse doesn't seem to have anything to do with what Nicodemus just said. As a matter of fact, it almost appears to be a non sequitur. But if you look again, Nicodemus is saying that he understands where Jesus has come from. That by his teachings and work, God is manifesting himself on earth. Nicodemus is looking at Jesus and saying, I see you, I see what you're doing. And Jesus responds by saying something like this. Well, Nicodemus, the only way you can see what I'm doing is if you can see the kingdom I'm forming. The only way that you can see those two things is if you've been born again. Now when Jesus says that, Nicodemus appears to go from confident to bewildered. For the rest of the conversation, Nicodemus seems to be just behind, a little confused. But what's telling about his confusion are the kind of questions he asks. When Jesus tells Nicodemus that a correct perception of him and his kingdom is only possible if one is born again, does Nicodemus assume Jesus is talking about a spiritual rebirth or a physical one? Well, from the response of Nicodemus, it's clear that he assumes Jesus is talking about a physical rebirth. How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter his mother's womb for a second time? Those are two of the most uncomfortable verses in the entire Bible. But why, why in the world would Nicodemus assume that? Why would Nicodemus assume that a physical birth was the way one entered the kingdom of God. Nicodemus certainly wasn't a materialist. He most certainly believed in the spiritual realm. He most certainly had numerous examples of what it looked like for the Spirit of God to inhabit the physical. So why would Nicodemus assume that a physical initiation, not a spiritual one, was the way that one entered the kingdom of God? But you may already know the answer to that. You see, for many in Israel... The way that you could be sure that you were one of God's people, the way that you could be sure that you were in his kingdom was to trace your lineage back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those who could draw a line back to the patriarchs and show their familial pedigree could rest assured they were in God's kingdom. A physical birth is what marked you as one of God's own. But then here comes Jesus, and with just a few words, he blows that assumption to smithereens. Jesus has nothing to say about a physical birth being the door to God's kingdom. Though Jesus says that those who have been born of the Spirit, who have been formed from above, those are those, those are the people who enter the kingdom of God. Jesus was saying that he was starting a new kind of family, a family in which no one was physically born into it, but a family in which anyone could be reborn into it. 
and that offer of entering God's family by way of rebirth would be offered to all and would be made the only condition for inhabiting God's kingdom. That revolutionary idea of a new type of family is exactly why I think Nicodemus asks this question in verse 9. How can these things be? To Nicodemus, it must have sounded like Israel was being written out of God's story. For centuries, Israel had been the people of God, the descendants of Isaac, not Ishmael, the descendants of Jacob, not Esau. It was Israel and not the nations with whom God dwelled in his holy temple. But now Jesus, the teacher who was irrefutably sent from God, tells Nicodemus that the physical marker of birth was no longer the definitive way a person acquired their citizenship in God's kingdom. Where you were born or who you were born to no longer assured your place or your exclusion. Your entrance into God's kingdom had nothing to do with your birth, but it had everything to do with your rebirth. And anyone, whether they be Ishmaelites or Edomites, whether they be Samaritans or Romans or tax collectors or, yes, even prostitutes, anyone reborn of the Spirit could look at the God of Israel and call him Father, no differently than even those who were the most devout Jews. And while this message was shocking to Nicodemus, Jesus makes the case that this new move of God was really nothing new at all. Israel had always existed for one reason. They were here to be a light unto the nations. They were here to be the one place in the whole world where the nations could look and see the one true God. They would be his special people marked out with a special responsibility and privilege of bearing his name. But they carried this honor and responsibility not for themselves, but for the sake of the whole world who did not yet know God. God formed Israel with the express intention of reaching every nation and tribe, of reaching every single person with the life and the love of God. That is why they existed. That is why God formed them. And as Israel suffered at the hands of countless nations, as they suffered one brutal and devastating attack after another, as their lands were occupied and pillaged again and again, Israel began to forget that they existed to bring light to the very nations that were brutalizing them. They began to forget that the whole world would belong to the Messiah, not just Israel. And I think of all the things Jesus said that surprised Nicodemus, John 3.16 is at the very top. I think many in Israel would like to have seen John 3.16 say this, for God so loved those born of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he sent the Messiah into this world so that they might be preserved from the filth of the nations. I think that's what they were looking for the Messiah to say. Many decent first century Jewish people longed to hear that pronouncement from the Messiah. But as you well know, that is not what John 3.16 says at all. Instead, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes should not perish but have eternal life. The inclusion of the nations was always the point. The inclusion of the Gentiles alongside of the Jews was always the plan. 
But by including the nations, Jesus wasn't telling Israel to go away. God wasn't turning his back on Israel. What God was doing was bringing Israel into the fullness for which it had always existed. And I think that's what makes John 3.16 such a remarkable verse. Jesus, the Messiah, came to Israel as a true Israelite. He came with a biological pedigree that was impeccable. He could trace his line back to David, back to Jacob and Isaac and Abraham. And Jesus fulfilled with perfection every single commandment in the Jewish scriptures. There had never been anyone more thoroughly Jewish than Jesus. But the pinnacle of all Jewish purity and hope hadn't come to justify Israel alone. He came to give himself to the nations as well. Israel's Messiah came to give himself to the whole world so that whoever believes in him could live with him in his kingdom forever. Amen.